it seems like there's something sort of significant about the year 2020, doesn't there? I don't know what it is. I'm sure half the pastors in the country were jumping at the chance to incorporate something about 2020 vision into their sermon titles this morning. Well, I got news for you. I'm no different. I did that very thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> did you ever miss something that was just really, really obvious? All right. I, I, you remember the Captain Obvious commercials? <laughs> I love those commercials because I'm one, I'm personally one that misses obvious things. I'm talking, you know, if it was a snake, it would have bitten you kind of obvious. That's me, all right? I miss those things all the, all the time. Or take, for example, the story of a young girl who was recounting the loss of her friend. In telling the story, she says, my best friend died because we couldn't remember her blood type. While she laid there bleeding to death, she just kept saying to us, be positive, be positive. But I gotta admit, it's hard to do that without her here. Whoosh. Some of you, that went right over your heads, and you're gonna be thinking about that for the next couple minutes. <laughs> if I'm gonna be really honest, I do. I struggle with the obvious things sometimes, especially at home. Um, you can ask my wife down here. Lindsay, do I struggle with obvious things? Oh yeah, it's bad. Um, Lindsay, where's the milk? Nate, it's in the fridge where you just put it. <laughs> Lindsay, have you seen my glasses? Yes, Nathan, they're on your face. Nate, don't forget that we have that noon birthday party today. Oh, okay, what time is that? No joke, on Friday evening, just a couple nights ago, um, we were making plans for Saturday, for yesterday. And Lindsay said to me, Nate, my parents are gonna pick up the kids tomorrow morning. And a little bit later, I asked her, so we need to take the kids to your parents in the morning, right? And she gave me, you know, the look. You know that look, gentlemen? She said, no. And, I, and then, I, and then I, I realized my mistake, and I went, oh, I remember now. They're spending the night over there. <laughs> I, I frustrate her badly. <laughs> Don't I, honey? She loves me, though. <laughs> How many husbands and wives in here know that struggle? I think... Yes, okay, yes, so I'm not alone, Whew, thank goodness. As funny and as frustrating as examples like those can be, they are infinitely more frustrating when they're over something serious. The fact is, we live in a world that denies the existence of some very obvious truths. Here are just a few examples, you ready? few examples of obvious truths that the world denies. First one, Jesus said he was the only way to heaven. It's amazing, it, it's right there in the book, but somehow they miss that. Another obvious truth the world admits is there is such a thing as absolute truth. Another obvious truth they miss, there are only two genders. Or related to it, marriage is between one man and one woman. Or an unborn baby is a living human being. Or pedophilia is wrong. That's the new one, by the way. That's on the horizon. I hope you know that. They're talking about that already. Oh, that's, that's not as bad as people think it is. It's out there, folks. 
Another one, the universe is far too complex to have, to have occurred by random chance. Yet we hear people deny that all the time. Another one, sinful choices not only cause spiritual death, they also harm your physical well-being. Folks, we take those statements that I just read, we take those things for granted. The world considers them, on the other hand, controversial. Just this week, USA Today uh, reported that a political commentator, I believe her name is Candace Owens, she was disinvited from being on a talk show because she wrote that only women can give birth. <laughs> I can't make this stuff up. These are the times that we live in. Times when you only need to identify as something to be accepted as something that you're obviously not. Now for evangelical Christians who hold traditional orthodox beliefs, these days can be unsettling, to say the least. And yet, folks, I'm often surprised at the way that we Christians respond to these sorts of things. Usually we respond, we respond with shock and outrage. We're surprised when unbelievers act like unbelievers. Yes, human beings are finding all sorts of new and creative ways to reject the truth. Just turn on the news and you'll see, right? But this isn't something that's new, folks. It's been happening from the beginning of history. Jesus dealt with it. Remember, he healed the sick. He cast out demons. And yet the Pharisees said what? He's demon-possessed. He performed dozens of miracles, and yet they called him a lunatic and a heretic. In the 16th century, there was an English writer by the name of John Haywood. And I love this quote uh, that he wrote way back then, so applicable today. He said, there are none so blind as those who will not see. Man, that's a $100 quote. The Apostle Paul had some fascinating things to say about this sort of behavior too. So this morning, here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. If you don't have your Bible, that's okay. We'll throw it up on the screen here for you. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Here's what Paul writes. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. Pretty meaty passage. 
lot to unpack there. A little bit of background is in order here. Uh, in the previous chapter, Paul had been talking about how the ministry of the gospel, the gospel message, is superior to Moses' ministry of the Old Testament law. You see, the Old Testament law, as great as it was, could only point out mankind's shortcomings. It could only show us where we were failing. But the gospel ministry, the good news about Jesus is more complete, more powerful, and more able to impact the human heart. So this prompts Paul to say there in verse 1, therefore, you can go back a couple slides, it's why Paul says, therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Now let me tell you something about Paul. Paul had every reason to lose heart. I mean, if there was ever a guy that went through the ringer, it was him. Shipwrecked. They attempted to stone him to death. Beaten, whipped, flogged, imprisoned, abandoned, all sorts of stuff. And yet, he didn't lose heart. Even though he had to deal constantly with the stubbornness of the Jews who refused to accept that Jesus was their promised Messiah. He had to deal with Gentiles and Greeks and Romans who thought that he was out of his mind. Even with believers. Paul had plenty of frustrations. You know, the Corinthian church, if you know anything about them, they were an unruly bunch. They were crazy. You, th you think you've seen church problems? Whoa, you ain't seen nothing yet until you've seen the Corinthian church. They were constantly in trouble. Their services were chaotic. They engaged in questionable moral behavior. They didn't listen to authority. You know, Paul's situation, though, was a lot like ours today. We, too, live in a society that calls us old-fashioned or hateful or just plain crazy. And inside the church, we're faced with the shallow, the immature, the argumentative, and the fake. Yet despite all of those things, Paul didn't lose heart. Why? How? Look at verse 2 again with me. Paul says, rather we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. You see, Paul wasn't discouraged because he knew that it was the clear, honest, and powerful presentation of the gospel that ultimately changed hearts and minds. Not his own persuasiveness. Paul was the first to admit that, hey, I may not be the most eloquent in the world, but it's not me doing the work. It's the Holy Spirit using the gospel that does the work. Notice how he says he didn't use deception or distort the word of God. He wasn't concerned about flashiness or coolness. Too many churches today have fallen into that trap because they're afraid to lose people. Afraid to lose people's money. Afraid to lose their building project. Afraid to lose worldly influence or approval. See, Paul wasn't concerned about any of that because one, he knew that those sorts of things had no lasting impact on people's lives. And two, he knew that the gospel is powerful enough 
all by itself to impact hearts and minds. And that doesn't mean that we can't adjust our delivery of the gospel depending on what context we're in. How we share the gospel might change from one situation to the next, but what we share, the content of the message itself should never, ever change. Now look at what Paul says next here again in verse 3. This is kind of the crux of this passage. And even if our gospel is veiled, think of a veil, you can't see through a veil very well, can you? Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age, and he's referring to Satan here, not that Satan is a God, right? The false God of anything. But he's the one who sort of is trying to control things right now, right? The God of this age. He has an agenda in this world. He has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So, you know how frustrating it is when the world ignores the truth that seems completely obvious and undeniable to the rest of us, right? This right here is why. This is exactly why. You see, sin has dulled the spiritual sensitivity of non-believers. Theologians like to call this, big fancy word here, the noetic effects of sin. In other words, our sinfulness literally distorts our human understanding. Right? It dulls our ability to understand obvious spiritual truths. In other words, the things that the born-again Christian can see with 20-20 clarity, the non-believer is blinded to. It's hard to explain this unless you've seen it in action. I'm guessing some of you have family members or friends or co-workers that you've noticed this in. Anyone seen that before? All right? When you see it in action, it's kind of mind-boggling, isn't it? How are you missing this? About 10, 15 years ago, when I was a little bit younger and a lot less wise, uh, I would get into social media debates with non-believers. And uh, now I'm a pretty logical guy. Uh, I'd I, I like to lay out some very uh, solid arguments for biblical truth. That's just, that's my thing. I love apologetics. Um, and even though these people that I would argue with wouldn't refute me per se, they also refused to accept some very basic truths that I just assumed were obvious to everybody. What I failed to recognize was that when Jesus transforms your heart, he also transforms and renews your mind. That's because the work of Christ lifts that spiritual veil that covers your eyes. And then the Holy Spirit illuminates the truth. He makes it clear so that you can understand it. But on the flip side, on the flip side for the unbeliever, their spiritual insensitivity combined with the blinders that Satan puts on their eyes, make it difficult for them to see the truth, even when it's staring them right in the face. The Greek word that Paul uses for blinded here is the word tufluo, kind of a strange word, but tufluo means to make opaque. It's the opposite of making something clear, see-through, opaque. It's dark, it's obscure, 
Right? That's what Satan does. He obscures the truth. He muddies the waters as much as possible. A great example of this would be Paul himself. Right? Here was a guy who had been trained in the Old Testament by uh, Gamaliel, who was one of the great uh, rabbis of the age. Uh, in Philippians 3, Paul calls himself a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a master of the scriptures. He was bold. He was articulate. But even though he had memorized the very scriptures that talked about the coming of Jesus, he simply couldn't see the truth. Instead, he hunted down and he murdered Christians because they were blaspheming, at least so he thought. Right? It wasn't until Jesus literally knocked him off of his high horse in Acts chapter 9 that the blinders fell off of Paul's eyes. We read that uh, in that chapter that Paul fell to the ground and after hearing Jesus speak to him, he got up and he couldn't see anything. So they led him into town where a Christian man named Ananias shared the gospel with him. And a few verses later, it says that when Ananias prayed for Paul and Paul accepted Christ, that something like scales fell from his eyes. And I love that because it was a physical symbol of how God had opened Paul's spiritual eyes to finally see the truth. So what made the difference for Paul? Look at verses 5 and 6 one more time with me. Paul said, For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, Let light shine out of the darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. You see, it wasn't human creativity or some fancy ministry initiative that did it. It was a simple gospel presentation empowered by the Holy Spirit and the humble obedience of one of God's servants that finally got through to Paul. All the human ingenuity and charisma in the world can't do that. In a world that's blind, requires us to have, first of all, compassionate concern for the lost. You know, too often, folks, our response to lost people is disgust. Disgust. We rail against the things that we see. And yes, sometimes sin is repugnant. And yes, Sinful behavior can be shameless and offensive. And yes, sometimes people throw their sin in our faces. But folks, if you default, if your default response to unbelievers is to immediately criticize and condemn, you will never, ever, ever win a hearing for the gospel message. You won't. You will almost certainly get tuned out before you get a chance to say anything at all. And that old adage is, is true. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And besides, guess what, folks? That's not how Jesus did it. It's not. Jesus identified the needs of those who were lost. He met those needs. And then he spoke the truth. Where we go wrong uh, much of the time is forgetting that sinful people are also broken people who desperately need someone to show them unconditional love because it's quite possible that they've never experienced that in their entire lives 
A great example of this is the Samaritan woman uh, at the well uh, in, in John chapter 4. Now, we don't have time to read her story this morning. You can take a look for yourself when you get home. But here was a woman who was an outcast because of her ethnicity. She was an outcast because of her sex. She was an outcast because of her lifestyle and her choices. Yet, because Jesus was willing to have a simple, gentle conversation with her, the whole trajectory of her life changed. In fact, the whole trajectory of the town changed. And she ended up becoming a follower along with a lot of other people. And it was all because Jesus was willing to associate with someone whom others considered an undesirable. So compassionate concern for the lost. Secondly, to have 20-20 vision in a, lost, in, a, in a blind world, we need to have relentless devotion to gospel truth. Relentless devotion to gospel truth. If some people err on the side of truth-telling without any love in their hearts, the opposite extreme is also a problem. If you, all you do is show kindness without ever sharing the truth with your lips, even if that truth is difficult, no one's lives are ever going to be changed. Jesus didn't just offer compassion to the sinner. He also called the sinner to repentance. Really key, people. Too many churches get this wrong. They think, oh, if we just, we, let's just do a lot of community service and show people we care and that's enough. No, it's not enough. You have to call people to repentance. Jesus told them the truth about himself and he expected a response from them. Great example of this is the story of the woman who was caught in adultery. John chapter 8. The religious leaders found this woman caught in adultery. They dragged her out to the, to the town square. They were ready to stone her. And they said, Jesus, teacher, what should we do with her? Obviously trying to trap him. But what did Jesus do? First he said, well, those of you without sin, go ahead and cast the first stone. Clearly, they all had to walk away because there was no one who that was true about. And then Jesus forgives this woman. He said, no one condemns you. And then his very last statement to her is telling. He says, go now and leave your life of sin. Multiple times in scripture we see Jesus doing this. That's just one example. He heals the sick and then he reveals the truth about himself. He forgives the person and then he instructs the person to go and sin no more. Jesus never showed compassion at the expense of speaking the truth. Folks, this world is on a downward trajectory. It's going to get worse before it eventually gets better. Hate to break it to you. Yet, in spite of the fact that we could face opposition, in spite of the fact that we could lose numbers, or lose our building, or lose our right to assemble, are you willing to compassionately and boldly share the truth? Finally, the last thing that we need to do to have 20-20 vision in a blind world, we need to have consistent prayer for the Holy Spirit to open blinded eyes. You know, at the end of the day, if the Holy Spirit doesn't soften someone's heart, your words are going to fall on deaf ears. When we see the unbeliever 
who is hardened to the truth, our response shouldn't be, oh well, guess they're a lost cause. No. Our response should be, Lord, open their eyes. Jesus said in John 16, 8, it's the Holy Spirit who convicts of sin and righteousness and judgment. It's your job to speak the truth in love. It's his job to soften a person's heart to receive the truth. So pray for the lost. Remember a couple months ago, we talked an awful lot about spiritual warfare, right? When you're dealing with people, you're not just dealing with physical, earthly, natural things. Because people are not just physical, earthly beings. People are spiritual beings. And when we're wrestling with them and trying to share the truth with them, we're fighting a spiritual battle. So pray that God would break Satan's deception over the hearts and minds of people. Boy, this is a timely message, I think. I mean, we, look at our country, folks. We desperately need God to break deception. We need to pray that God would do whatever is necessary to break down the spiritual walls that people have put up in their lives to give sight to their blinded eyes. Sometime back, there was a book that was written called An Anthropologist on Mars. And in it, it tells a story of a neurologist, a doctor by the name of Oliver Sacks. And uh, he, he tells the story of a man who had been blind from early childhood. Uh, it says when he was 50, the man underwent surgery and was given, at that late age, the gift of sight. But he quickly found out that having the physical capacity for sight is not quite the same thing as seeing. The man's first experiences with sight were confusing. He was able to make out colors and movements, but arranging them into a coherent picture was more difficult. Over time, he did learn to identify various objects, but at first, his habits, his behaviors, were still those of a blind man. Dr. Sachs wrote, one must die as a blind person to be born again as a seeing person. It's in the interim, the limbo, that is so terrible. It's a fascinating story, I think. It's possible to have the capacity for sight and yet to still be blind. And there's a spiritual parallel here. You can know all the facts in the world about the Bible. You can know everything about the life of Jesus and still miss the truth. I've known professors and even pastors like that. To truly see Jesus and his truth means more than just knowing or observing what he said or did. It means a change of identity and a change of heart. As those who have the ability to see spiritual truth, we as believers have the responsibility of boldly and compassionately speaking that truth and praying for the Holy Spirit to come alongside and open the eyes of the lost See the truth for what it is. Folks, in the year 2020, in a society that is running faster than ever away from God, I pray that you would take the clear vision that God has gifted to you. That capacity to see spiritual truth and that you would take that truth to a lost and dying world. That's what it means to have 2020 vision in a blind world. Show compassionate concern for the lost. Be relentlessly devoted to the truth. 
pray wholeheartedly that God would open the eyes of our neighbors, see, accept God's glory that's revealed the person of Jesus Christ. Amen.